Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to Deutsche Grammophon's international podcast series. I'm Sarah Willis, and I just love podcasting with the Yellow Label's star-studded cast of musicians. My guest today is an Oscar-nominated pianist and composer who spent the COVID lockdown in Reykjavik in Iceland. He decided to revisit some of the music he has written over the past 15 years, and the result is a wonderful album, also with some new compositions, called Silvur. I have spent the last few days with his music and can honestly say I feel very chill, except for the fact that I have to pronounce live online the word Silvur. <laughs> Dustin O'Halloran, congrats on the new album and welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. How was Silvur? Is that, that's my only word of Icelandic up till now. Uh, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong as well. I, I, I think Silvur. It's it's, okay. it's between an you know it's between an F and a V. It's like this slight little <laughs> inflection. Well, I wrote to the horn players of the Icelandic Symphony Orchestra because we horn players are so connected yeah. uh, globally, and I said, "How do I pronounce it?" So, and and to be honest, they all had different ways. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, the- <laughs> it, <laughs> how is your Icelandic doing? You told me you just came from a lesson. Uh, yeah, it's it's slow. It's getting there, but uh, it's a really beautiful and interesting language. It's definitely a brain teaser, but I'm getting it <laughs> slowly. So congrats on the album, really. It's beautiful. And as it says in your, your blurb, it says you wanted to revisit your music. And you, you, you begin and end the album with new compositions. Mm-hmm. And in the middle, you have ones that I found also in, in their original and also in different versions. Mm-hmm. Just tell us how this started. Was it really lockdown fever that got you thinking, hmm, what shall I do now? Well, Christian Batsura from Deutsche Grammophon kind of came up with the idea. And I obviously was thinking that I would start working on new material, but he had this idea to sort of revisit old pieces. And I think it had been a long time since I'd made a solo record. So it was more of an idea to sort of recapture a sort of history and, you know, sort of reintroduce myself <laughs> after sort of being away and I've been doing a lot of collaborative work working on my project Wing Victory for the Sullen with Adam Wiltsey and doing scores on my own and also with Volker Bertelmann, a fellow German. AKA, AKA Hauschka. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah, it was something that I didn't never really thought I would do, but I thought it was a nice way to sort of get back to writing music for myself. I thought that when you collaborate for so long and when you do film scoring for so long, it inherently sort of affects you, uh, your your own voice, I think. And so it was, I thought it was an exercise in sort of rolling back time and, and understanding where I left off, really, like where I started and where I left off. And so I thought it was, I kind of went into it that in mind, just as an experimentation of what still has meaning to me, what do I think I could sort of carve out and make solid and can I play it and record it better? (laughs) Did you have to go into training? Did you start playing scales and getting the fingers working again? Yeah. Did did they never stop? (laughs) I mean, being called a pianist on Deutsch Grammophone is a frightening thought. Yeah, it's pretty impressive, huh? (laughs) With all the others on their list. Well, I, I, you know, to be honest, I don't think of myself as a pianist, even though I love writing for the piano and I love the instrument. I just didn't do conservatory or this kind of uh, classical training, but I 
started learning classical pieces and it was really my first introduction to music and and my first interest in music but i have to sort of work extra hard to get my hands in shape but the piano is just where i always end up and i think as a composer you sort of learn to work with what you have around you and work with the best of your abilities and thankfully i always preferred the adagios so <laughs> yeah that was one thing that i read you you prefer the sort of slow meditative reflective music and i still find it has a very unique touch it doesn't matter what piano you were playing on because there were some recordings of you playing some of your opus numbers with a little bit out of tune pianos yeah some you could tell were big grands i found a recording of you in the grunewaldkirche in berlin in yeah. Dahlem playing and then on this piano the video of you playing in the church is it opus 18 i think yeah the, yeah uh, yeah, I mean, that's an astounding sounding piano, but it's all about the touch. I think a, a pianist always has his own, yeah. Yeah, way of, of I think if, I mean, if anything that I work hard at doing is trying to figure out how to make the piano resonate in a very soft way, but that has a full tone. And I think that's something that I don't have the muscles and perhaps the desire to play really fast and complicated music it's not really what i'm interested to do but i i love how you can record piano very very intimately but you need the right touch to do it to to capture and i feel there's something in that you know in in this dynamics of the piano that's very rich and and if you can get the right tone which takes time and, and actually can be really hard <laughs> But playing soft is uh, can be very challenging. But I, it's the sound I like when you can make a grand sound so soft because grands can be really harsh and biting. And the way the strings resonate when you play that way is completely different from when you play do, really. Do you have the soft pedal down all the time? Is that your yes and no? It's a bit of both. I sort of I use the soft pedal, but I also need the soft pedal off, especially in the lower notes to let them resonate. So that's where it takes a really steady sort of uh, not drinking too much coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I know that one as a horn player. No coffee before a concert. Yeah. We have the potential to ruin the concert. Oh yeah, with, coffee with can, the be, can be the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like your, your music on double espressos. That would also be an interesting project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our recording engineers at the Philharmonie say the piano is just the hardest instrument to record because it's like a whole orchestra. And yeah. I have the feeling you use the piano as a whole orchestra. Yeah, well, I think that's what I love about it is that you can, it's such a complete instrument and you can create, there's rhythm, there's bass, there's a whole sonic register and it's such an expressive instrument. And I think I like that you can do it alone. You, I, I love working with other musicians and I love working with people who are so well-trained and so much better than me. That's always a joy, but there's something that's just nice to, to, to not need anything but just that. When I uh, found out that you were coming on the podcast, I was, of course, very happy. I knew you, to be honest, more as a, as a film composer. And in your honor, I watched Lion again last night. I just thought, I've got to watch that uh, again. I remember dying of tears when it came out. Yeah. And it's just so beautiful. And funnily enough, having spent the last few days with your music, I could then hear more or less, well, I don't know, maybe I just thought I could, when which was your part and which was Hauschka's part. And yeah. then all that wonderful bit at the end, you know, when he's going back and there's this, it seems like 
an endless piano take. I don't know how you guys managed to I, to record that, but it just did you do it in one take? Yeah, you know the bit a, I mean? That is a story. <laughs> well, it was it, I mean, up to that point, the way I had sort of approached film scoring was sort of like making records. I recorded a lot of music and I hadn't done really that much scoring to picture. This piece of music you know, we wrote away from the picture, and, but this whole scene had to be scored to picture. It was very specific where things were shifting. And I did that in a single take. It's crazy. I spent a day Whoa. doing that whole, I had a small uh, monitor next to the piano. And it, I, it was one of those things that at the end, I, I told myself never again, but it added so much to the the whole just bringing it all together and uh, I spent a day <laughs> on that scene. Oh my scene. goodness, well, absolute respect because I'm yeah. watching that scene again. It goes on for ages it, yeah. and, and, and the music doesn't stop and I just thought there's no place to edit in this. And dear listeners, if you don't know what we're talking about, please yeah. go and watch the film Lion. I think it was 2016 when yeah. it came out mm -hmm. and amazing music. And this scene, we better not give away what happens because that's the whole point of the whole film. But yeah. uh, it's very, it's almost at the very, well, it is the very, very end. Oh, yeah. congrats on that anyway. So I, I watched it Thank last you. night in your honor. <laughs> but you. I knew you more as a film composer and then getting to know your piano works. I, 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 on purpose, I didn't Google what your influences were and all the rest of it. I, uh, I decided to listen to the album and then see what my classical music brain would come up with. And funnily enough, and I feel very proud, when I Googled it in the end, Dustin O'Halloran influences, yeah. exactly what I'd written down. I, Bach, I found. Yeah. I found Debussy and I found Chopin. Yeah. Who else was it? Mozart you'd put in and Beethoven. I, I thought I heard a bit of Beethoven. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I love Arvo Part and Satie. I only know his brass music. Yeah. <laughs> Satie, but, uh, there's a bit of genopedy in there as well. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that's interesting is that, I, you know, I also, you know, I grew up listening to a lot of alternative electronic music and a lot of sort of 4AD era, you know, this kind of stuff and dark wave. I mean, there's a lot of strange influences in there that probably people don't realize, I think because of the piano, but there's always, you know, there's always a, a sensibility that comes from so many things. Is it okay to tell a composer I heard these other composers in your work or is it is it more offensive if I, I've, if I heard? You know, I, I think that all composers are, are such a, an amalgamation of their influences. And I think you try to make it your own and find your voice. But I always think if you're going to you know, be inspired, be inspired by the greats. I think that's, that's a great place to, to, to draw inspiration from. And I think music is sort of never-ending chain, and each link leads to, to the next. And I think that Without Bach, we wouldn't have had a lot of other composers afterwards. And I think it's a healthy exchange. And it's just about what you pull from it and what you learn from it. You worked with a string quartet on your album as well, the, mm -hmm. the Siggy, Siggy, did I pronounce that? Yeah. Siggy Quartet. Yeah. And uh, they play Opus 17. So you have it once, the piano version, and mm -hmm. then you have the string version. And they play it in a very Bach style with absolutely no vibrato. They had no coffee, obviously, yeah. beforehand. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I wasn't sure if I wanted to... to I never imagined it for strings, but it was, it was an experiment. And it, it sounds very... Baroque. <laughs> Very. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, obviously that's a, that's a counterpiece point and an ode to Bach. So it went even farther, but it was, you know, I thought it was a ni nice to put that on as a, as an, 
exploration of just what it would, you know, what it would sound like. And I, I thought of all of the pieces of the record that sort of made the most sense to to try it. I love the way that on the album you you kept surprising me just when I was, you know, chilling out. The most chilling is such a universal word. The, the Germans say chillen. They yeah. made, a, made a verb out <laughs> of it, via chillen. But then all of a sudden you, the, the arpeggios would come and then the strings would play a bit of Baroque. You've got a lot of string in your works. And I was just wondering, what's it like working with classical musicians like that? I heard you say in a podcast, you have to tell them to respect the, lo- the whole notes. <laughs> Well, because often that's all they get to play. <laughs> well, I think that playing soft and playing long notes is challenging. And that's the one thing that I've learned to get, because so much of what I love is about timber. It's not so much about how many notes there are. It's about how you play it and the the, the subtlety of the vibrato and the bowing. And, and I think they're very subtle, subtle techniques. Sometimes it takes time to get it in that way. And I think I'm always searching for this balance between how to record things closely, which is not generally a classical approach of how you record things. And I like to hear the bows and I like to hear the mechanics. You like to hear the bow changes, you know, it, all the in the long notes. Yeah, but to be able to perform it where it doesn't stick out and it's not jarring and it's even. That's hard. It's very totally hard. Yeah. Still, yeah no coffee. Yeah. Absolutely no coffee before <laughs> nope. that. So that's probably why you preferred working with strings rather than winds and brass because we winds and brass, I tell you playing loud is easy but playing quiet and long notes, yeah. the students don't realize how hard that is. Yeah. Yeah, I've been down all of these roads with with a lot of instruments and oh, tell me, exploring tell me. The, you know, exploring the very soft dynamics and I think that's you know it's, it's something that 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 I've been exploring a lot in the music. Generally, if I want to go big or dynamic, I probably use something different, like uh, electronics or you know something that gives an edge, some kind of treatment. But, we can give an edge if you yeah, want. I mean, yeah. brass players can give edges with crescendos. We love the crescendos. Yeah. It's the decrescendos that True. then. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, but I think you know, like like everything, I'll probably continue to explore different things. I think up to this point, I've just sort of explored this range. And I think that I actually just uh, went to a concert of Daniel Bjornsson here in Iceland and it was really, really beautiful. What do you mean? There are concerts there? We don't yeah, know. we had a concert. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Jealousy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was actually the first proper concert I'd been to in the year and it was great. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a fantastic composer. Did the ambience, I know with all composers like Beethoven went for walks in the woods and Brahms as well. He heard alpine horns. You've been in Iceland for the whole of the lockdown. Has that really influenced these, this rediscovering of, of, your, of your, all your works and also the composition of the new ones? It's such an amazing landscape. Yeah, I really think every place that I've lived has influenced the work in some way. And Berlin, I lived in Italy. And Iceland is probably the most unique just because there's so few people. Uh, there's only 300,000 people in the entire country. And you can find this vast landscapes and the wind is constantly blowing and nature is so present here. It's the most present I've ever felt it. It's raw nature. It's very dangerous. It's beautiful. It's so... Uh, yeah, you never know when something's going to erupt, right? Yeah. <laughs> We have volcanoes. I mean, it's a you know, it's very. Is that you? Is that your picture on the Instagram? You really got that close? Yeah, yeah. We walked right up to it. It was just a couple days after it went. 
we went thinking we were on some, you know, dangerous mission and uh, us and about a thousand other people. <laughs> <laughs> That's practically the whole population of Reykjavik. <laughs> yeah, it was it, it was like going to a festival. <laughs> <laughs> oh, festivals. Now you're making me feel sad. You must yeah. have had some great festival times here in Berlin. Huh? It was all happening in those 10 years you were here. Yeah, it was a really rich time. I mean, I'm really grateful for, for the period in Berlin. Um, I was sharing a studio with Johan Johansson and Hildur Gunnodottir. And we just had a, like a, it was a really creative time. You know, Berlin is just a great place for the arts. And I think that it had a big influence on me and this record actually was recorded by my longtime collaborator, Francesco Donadello, who has a studio in Berlin called Voxtone. And he's worked a lot with Deutsche Grammophon as well. I think he's mixing Johann's last work at this moment. But we met in Italy and he ended up moving to Berlin and started a studio. And, and he he's a big part of how I've learned to record the piano as well. We've done a lot of experimenting and we've recorded so much together and we've explored how to record the piano in so many different how ways. How do you record a piano? Everything very close to the keys, everything above, something inside it? It's basically everything. We use more mics than what we'll end up with, but I the thing that I think is interesting is to really approach each piece of music and mix according to how that it should feel. So we'll have close options farther, really far and just find the, the the right set of microphones for the right tone. But then we really mix inside the songs, we really mix the depth and, we, and the depth is shifting. And sometimes we'll just use the far and then it'll come close. And I think that the listening experience is really important, especially with piano music, because it is a very dynamic instrument. And I love to sort of keep in mind how the listening experience is. Yeah, it's not quite the same listening to your music in my car as it was sitting at home with my with my proper headphones yeah. on, I must admit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's an opus number. Is that a, a nod to Beethoven, who was the first guy to use opus numbers? Or I just found it interesting. Uh, well, I, I really want the pieces to just have their own meaning for everybody. I just didn't want to name a song the morning sun or you know, something that <laughs> evokes imagery. I think it's nice when people can really attach their own meanings to it. I think that's one of the things that I love about instrumental music. People can interpret it in so many different ways and how I felt or how I feel when I'm writing it, or what it means to me, it can mean something else. It's me trying to sort of separate myself a little bit and let the piece sort of be its own. But you must have more than an opus number in your head when you're creating it. Yeah. I or mean, maybe not. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it depends. I think it's, you know, obviously they're always sort of reflections of emotions and, and time and the period of time. Sometimes, you know, they're very embedded in the pieces for me. And sometimes they evolve because time, as time passes, it's like memories change or fade. There's a wonderful quote in your line in it. Sometimes we can only understand ourselves by looking back and hopefully finding the thread of who we are and who we have always been. So these pieces are you, yeah. but we don't really know what that is, what exactly that is. So we have to we have to seek that out in your music. Yeah. And I and I think music is such a we experience it so presently in the moment. It's in our form that we really experience in the present. And when it's gone, it's in the past. And I think that when we're writing or we're playing, it's we always evolving. It's such a thread of, of time. And that's what I love about it. 
Do you ever hear other people playing your pieces? Yeah, it's really interesting. I have sort of a limit of how much I can listen to myself. <laughs> and I think, so it's hard for me to listen to my own music after I've sort of put it away and or played it or, you know, I just kind of have to sort of give myself a break. But I think it's really cool how people can make it their own, make their own versions of it, and it has their own meaning. And I think that's the thing that's really nice about the piano is that sheet music is still meaningful and people really enjoy it. And I think it's such a different experience to play music than just to listen to it because you become, it becomes internalized. It becomes a part of you. And I think that's why I love sitting in front of the piano and trying to get through some sheet music and <laughs> learn other pieces. It enters you in a different way. And I think that's, uh, I think it's cool. I'm, I'm honored. <laughs> But you just said that you don't like to list as a limit to how much you can listen to yourself. So when Deutsche Grammophon said, let's revisit a lot of your old compositions, did you have to go back and listen to them or did you still have them all in your fingers? Uh, I had to go back. Uh, thankfully, I had made some sheet music because some of the pieces had really faded from my memory. And the way that I write music is I don't write it down immediately. I, I basically sort of let it sit inside my head and I use just my memory and if it stays with me and I'll finish a piece of music and I usually don't put it to paper until after it's recorded, I think I write better that way and I internalize it better. That's scary in recording, though, when the <laughs> recording engineer says, so can we take it from, a, what, what does he work from? Because all the recording engineers I know have a score. <laughs> well, that's what, <laughs> that's what Francesco and I are, he's the only one that I record with. But, oh, so, so it's like, take it from that little note about three and a half minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> that's really difficult. Yeah. Well, well, you know, we we really try. I'm, most of the time, I've just, just tried to get it all in a single take because that's sort of what I strive for. And it's difficult, <laughs> but it's sort of what I, I, I like capturing the moment. Even if there's some minor flaws, I, I try to let them live. We, we horn players don't know about single takes yeah. in recordings. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, uh, yeah, that's just well, something we are. But it also makes it difficult if I'm going to play with other musicians because <laughs> then I don't have the Yeah, so luxury. how do you do that when you have your strings uh, with you? Well, usually I overdub the strings. I have done, you know, live recordings. But in general, there's two reasons why I like to do that is I like to have the separation in the mix. I think that I can mix it more in the way that I like it to sound and there's a little bit more control because the piano is not bleeding into the string mics and it's more time to work with the strings because uh, I don't have a regular ensemble that I'm working with and to get all of the subtleties it, it just takes a bit of time to sort of get into the recording and it gives gives just more space to do it that way. What have you planned next? Because a lot of your, well, everybody's gigs were cancelled basically this last year. You've got a lot to catch up on. Now you brought the albums coming out, yeah. so people will be clamoring to hear it. Uh, but you've got all your other things that you had planned that, that were all cancelled or postponed. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's probably the nice thing about doing film scores is that those have kept going <laughs> and it's been very busy. But I kind of took a bit of a break from that. I, I mean, this year, I re also released a new record with Wing Victory for the Sullen, which was a score we did for theater production for the Manchester Arts Festival. It was based on... And there was a tour. There were some concerts planned for it, that. Yeah, there? we did it. We started doing a tour and yeah. we ended the European part of the tour right when COVID hit. In fact, the night I was in the hotel after our last show was when they declared a pandemic. 
So that was my last live experience. Do you miss the performing? I mean, you, you've been busy with the film stuff and, and the recording the album, but there's uh, live you know, performances. I, I love the studio. I'm, I probably love being in the studio more than performing. It takes me a while to sort of get back into that mode. It's so different. I've done a lot of touring in my life and been on the road a lot. And there's something that's just really nice about being able to just exercise and cook at home. <laughs> Wear jogging pants to interviews. Uh, yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm, I've been okay with that. I think probably next year I'll be doing some concerts and setting up some things and that'll give me, uh, give me time to practice and I, I wonder if we'll ever get back to this sort of, I mean, we, we were on the road all the time before. It's yeah. sort of so weird, the state of being, of not traveling, but it has got its good things as well, you know, more time at home with friends and family. Yeah. You know, I think, you you know, as a touring musician, you can sort of get into a, to this rhythm of always being away and forget how important it is to just be centered. And it's hard to take care of yourself on the road. I think that for people who do it for a long time, travel can take its toll. I think some people have been really shocked about how difficult it is to stay at home all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember when we were on tour in, in Iceland, the food was very good, except I didn't like the fact that people ate puffins and puffins are these little birds, you know, I, I, I that, it's that kind made of, me sad. I, mostly the, they just do that for tourists, uh, the locals. Oh, are, really? Okay. Yeah, that's right. just, that's the, good to hear. <laughs> I've never eaten puffin ever. Oh, well, good. I'm glad to hear it. Well, then and I'm yeah. even more happy to have you on today's podcast. <laughs> Dustin, yeah. it's been really amazing to talk to you. And I had one last question, the constellation number two at the very end. Yeah. I, I know you just wrote that's what it was and you didn't tell us what, what to imagine. Yeah. I saw the Northern Lights. Well, was I completely way off? <laughs> you know, Iceland is just space. You know, it's probably a subconscious thing. I mean, I've seen the Northern Lights so many times and incredible skies. It's just, I mean, the things that I've seen, sometimes it just takes your breath away. So I think that probably in there, there's a lot of that. Okay. Well, thank yeah. you. That makes me feel good. I was, we went on an orchestra when we were there, we went on a tour in the middle of the night to see the Northern Lights. Everyone sort of got up at 11 p.m. or something and went on the bus and stood outside. It was freezing and we didn't see anything. Yeah. So <laughs> that was just the night where you couldn't see them, but I'll come back and see them in person yeah, one day. Yeah, spend a bit of time. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a beautiful, beautiful place in the world. Yeah. Love, I wish we could be in the same studio right now, but yeah. some wonders of modern technology. And I hope if you come back to Berlin, you're more than welcome to come to a concert. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much. And thank you for this wonderful album called Silfur. Oh, you tell me? I call it Silfur. Silfur. It means sulfur? Uh, ah, it, before we go, just yeah. tell us the story of that. That It was some piece of whatever. Uh, the, the word, <laughs> it's a crystal. It's a native Icelandic crystal. And it's called Silfurberg, which means silver rock. And so Silfur translates to silver. And the stone is very unique because it reflects light into two reflections. And it was said to be used by the Vikings for navigation. And I thought that when I discovered it, I was, I was given one. And I just thought it was a really interesting analogy for what I was experiencing, a single piece of light being reflected into two perspectives. Beautiful. And to have the Deutsche Grammophone stamp on yes. on the album, on your picture. It's amazing, isn't I'm it? It's honored. wonderful. I love the fact that the Deutsche Grammophone is so, you know, it mixes up its music genres. And it, people like me, I get to meet people like you who I probably yeah. wouldn't otherwise sitting oh, in the no, back of the orchestra. I'm very honored. <laughs> so if you use a horn, 
you know where to call. And I think we should go into this. It does not too long and too quiet, the notes. The minute you decide to go into a little bit more active, I'm your girl. But otherwise, uh, very quiet and very long notes on the horn. It means I can't have any coffee that morning. Yeah, we'll do a coffee session. (laughs) Dustin, thank you. Thank you very much. It's lovely to meet you and congrats again. And thank you, dear listeners. Thank you for joining in this podcast and we'll see you very, very soon. Oh, and by the way, if you enjoyed this podcast and want to stay up to date with future episodes or listen to some fabulous past episodes, do subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts from. I'm Sarah Willis. Thanks for listening and see you next month on the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast Series. (laughs) 